So you beat a guy like that by drawing him in with three things. Distraction. Whoa, whoa, whoa. what is happening? Diversion. And division. Then you put him on display for the whole world to see. Hi, everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. I used that clip from a movie called The A-Team. Some of you guys remember the uh, the series with uh, Mr. T from the uh, 80s, was it? Or the 90s? I think it was the 80s. Who knows? But this was the... Uh, this was the movie with uh, Bradley Cooper and Liam Neeson. And uh, you know what? Distraction, division, and diversion. I think that's what we're seeing go on. We don't know exactly what's exactly happening in the world, but we see a lot of posturing. We see a lot of movements. We see a lot of big banging. And uh, quite frankly, we're going we're gonna to talk about that in detail. Uh, we're recording early this week because of uh, Easter weekend, so uh, happy Easter to everybody, and uh, hopefully uh, you're still able to hear, hear the show. Uh, obviously, if you're listening, you did. So anyway, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about what's going on this week, but first let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your direct mortgage lender based in Southern California, offices all over the place. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, and there are some great opportunities out there, and the rates are really good. The rates are really good. They've been getting better the last the last week. So seize the moment. Call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because you don't want to hear my voice, you don't want me to hear your voice until after you know that I've seen your credit and everything's okay or you don't want to ask you don't want me to know who you are until you find out if the question that you asked was a stupid question or not there's no stupid questions but go to wccloans.com uh go to the uh loan center click on apply now put as much information as you want to put in there that you want me to have and tell me how much information you want back you'll hear from me or one of my teammates and we'll give you all the all the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle any part of the show you want repeated go to edhoffman.net Click on the podcast page. You can listen to it on demand anytime. You also get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes where you can uh, subscribe for free. Have it download automatically to your iPhone or your iWatch or your iPad or your iPod or your computer or whatever you use. Um, be sure to connect with the show on social media on Twitter at Ed Hoffman where I tweet about current week, current events all week long. Well, sometimes all week long. Sometimes it's just a little bit depending on uh, what my mood is. Or what's actually going on. And uh, like our, our uh, the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash the main event at Hoffman. So uh, before we go into uh, what's going on in the world, I have my favorite, my favorite uh, military analyst, my favorite, uh, uh, my favorite guy that has almost the same view as me on almost a lot of things. And sometimes he's contrary to what I think, but... I like his uh, perspective, and uh, he's also a good friend of mine, uh, Sergeant Joey Jones, f- former uh, retired Marine. Uh, also, uh, for those of you that uh, came out to uh, to our uh, our Red Tie Gala for WCC Charities, you got to meet uh, Joey and find out what a what a dynamic hero he is. 
gave up a couple of a uh, couple of his lower extremities uh, fighting for our freedom in Afghanistan and uh, and actually in Iraq as well. But it ended in Afghanistan. This guy's a true American hero and uh, our good friend Johnny Joey Jones. Johnny, welcome to the main event once again. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for all the kind words. I don't know that they're all deserved, but uh, I think pretty highly of you. And I think if we agreed on anything more than almost everything, uh, it would be too much, and, uh, and that would be called group thought. They'd think they'd think we were. I was paying you, huh? Mm-hmm. I like to I like to keep it I like to keep a little controversy. So. So, you know, just to break things up, you know, uh, Fox News, Fox News always brings on someone from the left to argue with the guy on the right. I don't know that I want to do that because it just kind of angers me. But, uh, you know, you give you give the young perspective while I give the older perspective. So uh, (laughs) but you give but but I'm a I'm a civilian guy. I was never I didn't grow up in a military family. And uh, so I I almost I almost I almost uh sad that I didn't serve because now that I've come to be such a patriotic American, I'm almost embarrassed to say that, Hey, I didn't, I didn't serve in the armed forces. So I'm trying to overcompensate by, uh, by showing all you military guys, some love and the respect and, uh, payback for what the, what the, the country, the country owes you guys a debt of gratitude forever. And, uh, and even the people in this country that don't even understand what a great country this is someday they'll learn and they're going to feel bad if they don't if I didn't help help to enlighten them. Well, I think you're I think you're an amazing patriot. Um, and I appreciate everything you do for the military community, everything you've done in my life. But I think uh, something that people need to understand and, and talk about more often is about the hardest sacrifice you can make for your country is just waking up every day and choosing to live your life in a way that makes this country better, makes the people around you better. Uh, but most importantly, doesn't take away uh, from the people around you in your community. So many Americans now, um, you know, we call it the entitled um, for, uh, perspective or the we want to beat up on millennials. But quite honestly, you can probably run the numbers and, and it's probably every generation that's doing it. Um, and, you know, uh, our greatest generation didn't have the opportunity. Social Security wasn't quite as available to them and disability compensation and a lot of the ways that we that we kind of take advantage of of other taxpayers uh when in fact maybe the culture should be how can we get people back to work and back to being a contributive member to society so uh in that context i think the best way to serve this country is to contribute to it and i think you're doing plenty of that so i appreciate it hey uh hey thank you but uh you know what let, let this is kind of off topic we didn't have this on our list of things to talk about but everybody's talking about this united airlines thing where they pulled people off the plane in chicago that was going to louisville kentucky and they three people took you know what i have a hard time believing i have a hard time believing that um, cause somebody said, Hey, you know what? This guy didn't want to get off because he's a doctor and you know, he didn't want to get off. He's a paying customer, which I'm completely agree with. And I completely am, uh, I'm completely shocked by the video that I saw, but somebody saying that, <clears throat> that they offered a thousand dollars for anyone on that plane and a new seat for anybody there to give up their seat. I have a hard time that a plane load of people in Chicago didn't have one person on it that wouldn't give up their seat for for a thousand dollars plus a new seat on another plane even if it included a hotel room overnight that you couldn't fly till the next day you have a thought on that 
Yeah, I do. Um, you couldn't pay me a thousand dollars to change just about any flight I take because I almost always fly out the last minute. Where I'm going is worth more than money in my pocket because I'm going to do something good, to somebody I care about. So, you know, part of it is I, I don't remember what day that happened, but I know we had a lot of bad weather. I flew out of Atlanta to do a charity event in Texas, uh, and as my flight was taking off, the last tweet that showed up was Atlanta Airport saying they were shutting the airport down. So, you know, I don't know the full national situation, but Chicago being one of the airports that gets shut down the most often, um, it could have been that's why they had the problem to begin with. They had a lot more passengers than seats. The the problem is, and, and I fly in some points in my life, I fly weekly, and uh, the problem is how the airlines uh, treat their customers at the end of the day. Um, no, I, you know, agree. I agree with that. But service but industry I... out there, the customer's always right. Airlines don't really have that point of view. And, uh, and I text my friends, they would have had to drag me off the flight, too. What I don't understand, though, is you got a air, airplane in Chicago. Chicago is kind of a Democrat area. And it's and there's... If it's a four if it's a four hour drive from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky, then that's probably an hour flight, maybe an hour and a half. So the tickets probably weren't that expensive. And I would think if they offered a thousand dollars cash, just there's got to be you know out of out of I, I don't know how many people were on that plane, two hundred people, they couldn't find one more person that would take a thousand bucks to. Well, one, I don't have anything to substantiate they offered everybody $1,000. They might have offered individuals $1,000. They might have said it at the gate. Nobody ever listens to that because they have a ticket in their hand. And once they're on the flight, I don't know they walked on the airplane and offered everyone on the airplane. I've, I've not watched the video that shows that. The I, video I, would I just, have seen I was, only shows them. Yeah, it shows them dragging them off. I heard I heard yeah. some people talking today, and I'm not going to substantiate the the stuff that yeah. I heard because I don't know any if any of it's true. But I said, you know what, United Airlines, before they would have to drag somebody off, there's got to be someone on that plane would take even if it was two thousand bucks. Somebody will get off that plane voluntarily, and and I hadn't heard them say that the people had to get to Louisville to fix another plane. I and I heard a, heard a lot of details today. Right before, uh, you know, just before getting to the radio station that I don't know if they're substantiated yet, but I have a hard time believing in a world where people feel entitled that they wouldn't take the opportunity to take a thousand dollars for a hundred dollar seat or a $200 seat or a couple they couldn't, I can't believe a company as big as United that made like $10 billion in profit couldn't have come up with a number that somebody would have taken rather rather than how much they're losing. The problem here is it isn't what could have happened or even what did happen. It's the fact that these things happen at least once a month, at least every two months, at least once a quarter. An industry that is constantly moving and doing the same thing over and over again. It seems like they just, you know, you're going to have, you know, with a million flights a year, you're going to have things happen. And uh, and to, so that's two things. One, we have to understand that, that – even the best company can make mistakes. But two, we have to understand that these people had to have been trained better to handle that situation. And at some point, somebody's got to be held accountable. And what really um, is unfortunate about it is it, it almost always go to civil litigation instead of just holding people responsible for their actions. Yeah. Um, the company has some liability, but so do individuals. And that was just a really dumb thing to happen, regardless of, of anything. Unless, unless that gentleman was completely acting in a way that warranted his arrest, which if that video has emerged, I've not seen it yet. 
if he was acting civil, then nothing that that has come to light was warranted, regardless of whose feet was what feet. Um, and at that point, you know, a company that big has to make better decisions. And it, it it's important to me because I'm a guy that needs special consideration at the airport for uh-huh. a ton of reasons. And um, and every time things like this happen, I worry because I'm pretty stubborn and I've got a lot of pride, and I'm also a little bit savvy on on the rules and regulations. And you know, there's going to come a day probably where I'm one of the guys in the video either attacking someone or someone attacking me because it just comes. Uh, I, have, I have a hard <laughs> time. I have a hard time believing that. Uh, you're you're one of you're one of the guys. A first class customer uh, passenger is going to say, "I'm going to give up my give up my seat for you." Well, so there are good people out there, uh, but um, not always. Well, let's let's. Uh, I just wanted to, since we were talking about the entitlement, since you brought up the entitlement kind of thing, I was just thinking there's got to be somebody that would have given that up. But uh, anyway, let's talk about let's talk about what's going on uh, in the world in the world this week. As you recall, President Trump authorized airstrikes last week against Syrian airbase where the Assad regime launched a chemical attack against innocent civilians, and even liberals are having a hard time criticizing them for it. Kind of kind of exactly the same thing Obama drew his line in the sand for and then did nothing. Joey, you were on Fox News this morning. This is the first time. I think this is the first time I've ever used a clip of a guy who's on my show. I'm going to use a I'm going to use a clip from from Fox News to tell you what you said to Melissa Francis this morning, and then I'll let you comment on what you said. Well, first of all, I think we have to look at the airstrike as a form of diplomacy. Um, you know, our missiles don't don't often miss, and uh, if the if the airfield went back to business, it's because we allowed it to. Um, I think that we did take a step to say that red lines matter this time, but I do think we're still in the diplomatic stage. I. I I don't believe we're escalating war in Syria. I don't believe that we're uh, moving uh, kinetically to topple the, the regime there, uh, Assad's regime. But I do think that we're showing posture, uh, which is one of the critical aspects of war. And I think we're showing that we're willing to do something uh, if put in that situation or if our national security or the, the actually the interest of humanity uh, yeah. is what is at stake. So what you're saying, what you're saying, and, and I agree with what you said, and I know that uh, – was it last Wednesday or last Thursday? Whatever, whatever day it was that we shot the 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 uh, Tomahawk missiles. Um, I remember. I remember. You know what? Because sometimes, sometimes Joey and I, for you, those of you out there that haven't heard Joey and I on the phone or on the uh, on the radio together, um, sometimes Joey and I don't actually agree politically with some of the things that are going, on, especially when it comes to that guy in the White House that's there now. Um, although. Although Joey did support him, but it was the the lesser of two evils at the time. I think Joey's uh, still the jury's still out from Joey's uh, in Joey's uh, corner there, or in Joey's uh, uh, in Joey's mind. So, but this was the first time I said, "Hey, how about that? How about that Trump and Mattis uh, bombing Syria? What do you think?" And and Joey's texted me twice, but the first thing he said was, "Finally," and I go, "Whoa." We finally agreed on something. So, uh, so obviously, from what you said and from what we text later in that night, um, you think this was a this was a, a political move much more than trying to really shut down that airbase. No, absolutely. I, I I do not look at this as a military action at all. I, I think that um, uh, you know when we were texting, uh, we had very little information other than we had sent down hot missiles into Syria. I think that alone is a, is a statement, and I referenced the term posturing on television and 
Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman wrote a book called On Killing that I'd recommend to anyone. And in there, he talks about an interspecies conflict. Uh, and you can see some spiders and snakes and other things that there's fight or flight, but there's also posturing and submission. And in other words, sometimes posturing um, is kind of a mutual action by both parties of the same species. Um, that So like snakes will bite each other and not seclude venom or uh, spiders will fight each other, but never bite each other. Whereas any other species, they would. And it's a part of it's a part of you know sustaining your own species. Don't take each other out. And I think that's a lot of what what uh, the Trump administration is trying to do at this point is to show force and show position, show conviction, and show that we will do what we say we'll do, but at the same time not cause something and not create a, a worse uh, situation. I think that's what President Obama dealt with his entire administration. He never wrapped his mind around how to do that, and so we ended up without any posturing uh, with what that last thing is, which is submission, either through diplomacy or through inaction. And so um, no one's fighting and no one's flying away necessarily, but the posturing and submission, is we've seen a lot of submission in the last eight years, and we see a lot of posturing now. I do believe this attack was a form of diplomacy. I believe there were lines of communication uh, between East D.C. And, and the Kremlin, uh, either prior to or immediately afterwards. And I think that it was very strategic in the sense that it didn't disable the flight line. And the, and the message clearly was, we don't have a position on your use of munitions against your enemy, but we absolutely have a position on your use of weapons of mass destruction on anyone, including, but obviously, civilians. Um and so that's kind of where we are. We, what I had to turn today, I didn't get to use it on television, is that for the first time we've made a move in a chess match or a chess game that we've been involved in for a really long time. Uh, we've been at the chess table. We've been looking at our pieces. We've let the other team move. And for the first time we've taken a move, but there's still a long game of chess left to go and, and a, lot of, a lot to see and a lot of strategy and, and multiple angles that will still play out. Well, you know, uh, the... The next morning, the next morning, I was watching on uh, on Fox, and I was flipping back to MSNBC just to, to MSNBC or CNN just to see what the differences was of how people were talking about it. And on, and on uh, I don't know if it was CNN or MSNBC, they were they were saying, "Oh, look now, look who's running the running the White House now. It's uh, uh, Jared Kushner and uh, and uh, Steve Bannon are are making the calling the shots. That's why Trump did this." And on Fox, they're saying, "Hey, look, uh, McMaster's is a great strategist, and and uh, James Mattis is a great war war uh, war leader." And uh, you know, who who in your who do you think made this made this call? I mean, other than our commander in chief, who's, yeah. who's well, he listening you know, to? It took a movie, a book, and about I don't know three or four decades to understand the thirteen days down in Cuba. So. We've got a lot of information still together on who called the shots. I think what's important to see here is uh, history will tell. If Syria doesn't use chemical weapons again, even if they do other things, if they don't use chemical weapons again, this was a genius move. A chief strategist called the shots, either Trump or one of his aides, and that's what it'll go down in history. If they use chemical weapons tomorrow, what do we do next? Do we bomb another place? If we do that, does Russia bomb an air base in Afghanistan? Um, that, that by and large kills U.S. soldiers. And so then what do we do? And so it's, it's risk, and it takes risk to be a leader. So there's a lot of risk involved. It's not definitive in any way, shape, or form. We didn't 
disable anything. We didn't stop anything. And at this point, how can we really have a position on what's happening in Syria? I mean, we're clearly choosing between what will likely be ISIS or Taliban control or something, I'm sorry, al-Qaeda control or something in that nature, or the Assad regime. Um, is there a lesser of those two evils? Probably not today. Um, and so we're almost in a, in a lose-lose situation, so the least we can do is show who we are to the other enemies in this world that might, uh, that might feel they can, say, Boko Haram down in Nigeria or some of the other places where um, our enemies might have been emboldened, and now they understand we absolutely are not afraid to employ our military and take military action um, to show that we mean business. So there's a lot of posturing there. Strategically, it really depends on how um, on what happens next. Um, exactly, and I think uh, I think we're saying, hey, the Obama the Obama uh, the Obama attitude of of uh, hey, let's just be nice to everybody and everybody be nice to us. That's over. Kind of, kind of when Reagan, Reagan came in after uh, after Carter was in there, and and you know the the first the first couple of hours after after he was inaugurated, all the uh, Iran let all the hostages out because they knew he was they knew he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna sit back and and be pushed around. So uh, so after the strike, in the first few days after the strike, everyone from John Kerry to Chuck Schumer uh, said the president did the right thing. Hard to believe that Chuck Schumer said anything positive about what the president did so but now the narrative is slightly shifting here's one example from cnn where brooke baldwin was clearly surprised by what a syrian refugee living in germany had to say about our president and, um, it was just so incredibly compelling hearing your first person account of the chemical attack and, and your pleas to, to president trump to to do something and now he has what's your response thank you again brooke for having me uh, I woke up for some reason. I couldn't sleep. I woke up. Uh, I saw a lot of texts on my phone. I saw the news. I cried out of joy. I jumped. I thank God. I, I don't know. I was overwhelmed. We've been asking for protection. We've been asking for consequences for more than six years. And Today, for the first time, it happened. For the very first time, we see Assad held accountable just for once, held accountable for his crimes against humanity. I was overwhelmed. I felt grateful for President Trump. I felt grateful for the United States. I felt grateful for each and every person who lobbied and called and uh, kept on talking until someone actually listened. Kasim, I understand, very though, it, it, I, I understand your, your gratitude, but still, you bring up Assad. Uh, he's still there. And, uh, you know, the real question is, what's next? Yeah, that not, seems like uh, Brooke Baldwin was uh, not exactly what she was expecting to hear out of this guy. And I'm going to go to you, Joey, and say and ask you the same question. What is next? Well, I think uh, the the big takeaway from that clip. I mean, obviously, there's a longer clip there that that. Uh, We're going to play some more of it that, in a minute. All right, I, I did say earlier. I kind of misspoke. I I did see that interview. I just saw a part, a different part of it earlier. But uh, I think the main takeaway there is kind of that media angle, and you see the same thing with Fox News with Obama over the last years. Uh, but this year, for sure, you've seen this media angle where um, when you can't quite disagree with what someone does you just 
consider it inadequate. And so that's what's happening now is that is that the the airstrike was by, by every um, you know measure warranted. Um, it actually was 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 promised uh, multiple times by Obama, and now we've we've cashed that check. So there's there's not a lot of ways to to um, really condemn this airstrike or say it wasn't a right move. So what can you do? You can say, well, should he have done more? It's kind of a crazy world in 2017 when a, a leaning Democrat and news analyst or news anchor is criticizing, was that enough military force? You know, and so that's kind of the world we're in, though. And, and we see, unfortunately, we see it out of Republicans as well. Um, but it's just that's where we are today. We, we believe in opposition more than ideology or even uh, fundamentals or, or morals or, or anything conviction-related. We just believe in opposing something, and that's why you think that a revolver is really bad. Exactly, and we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you that same question about what's next. But I'm out of time for part one of the main event. So, uh, so stay on the line, Joey. We'll be right back, and you guys stay tuned. We'll be right back after five minutes of traffic, weather, and commercials, and we'll be right back with part two of the main event. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about mortgages on this show because, uh, I don't know, if you're not in the market for it, it's not as interesting as talking about what's going on in our lives in this country. But if you do need a uh, mortgage or a refinance or buy a house or or uh, a reverse mortgage for you seniors, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. If you hear something that sounds like common sense, the trick to uh, to mortgage financing is talk to someone who will tell you the truth and talk common sense to you, help you find what's best for you. 855-640-2020. So I've got a, a former uh, Marine Sergeant Joey Jones on the line with me, and uh, we've been talking about uh, Trump's uh, retaliation for the chemical attack on Syria. And uh, just before we left... Uh, we played a little clip from Brooke Baldwin talking to a guy named Kassam, who's a, who's a Syrian, uh, about his firsthand uh, reaction to the, the retaliation. And Brooke asked him, well, hey, you know what? You're, uh, Assad's still there, so you know, what's next? What do you think, Joey? What do you think? Well, do you, th- you know, we, we talked about that a lot in the first segment. What is next isn't up to us necessarily. Um, you know, what, why we're calling this a victory is he hasn't used chemical weapons since. And so that's really what this hinges on is what is what else happens in this war in Syria that does or doesn't provoke U.S. intervention? Because the next thing that happens, the next step we take, what comes after that? That's really what we have to focus on. And I, I believe that's what, um, you know, very capable um, men and uh, generals uh, and men and women and, and our generals are, are focused on right now is to plan three steps ahead. Um, you know, I referenced the Cuban Missile Crisis earlier. Um, that naval blockade was only successful because the media it gathered and the fact that the Russians looked three or four steps ahead the same as we did um, and saw no win, no end game. And so I hope that, that's a, that this is a similar situation and that, uh, um, that Russia, along with the U.S., um, sees that this can't become a proxy war for us. Uh, we have to either allow Syria to uh, work its own problems out, which may or may not happen, help those in need, either over there or here, depending on how our immigration policies kind of work out, um, or, or are we going to take military action 
and then to what end. If any of my brothers and sisters go over there, and you can't tell me what will happen after they're done. I mean, in 2001, we effectively removed the Taliban. In 2003, we effectively disarmed Saddam. It, the problem was we, we didn't have a plan for day for day two. We knew what we were doing day one. We didn't have a clue about day two. And to, to get back into a mess like that, as conservative as I am, as uh, all for killing bad guys as I am as a Marine, as all for not sitting idly by, I've got to know that there's a well-thought end game before we go any further than diplomacy in the sense of we're using military in, as diplomacy, in my opinion, with this airstrike. Okay, so let's uh, let's hear a bit more of this interview. Brooke Baldwin couldn't let Kassam thank President Trump unchallenged, but uh, check out his response. But at the same time, this is a man who, you know, doesn't want Syrians to come into this country with this refugee ban. I want to just play some sound. Uh, Hillary Clinton weighed in. We cannot in one breath speak of protecting Syrian babies and in the next close America's doors to them. Quickly, Qasem, how do you see that? Uh, with all due respect, with all due respect, I didn't see each and every person who was demonstrating uh, after the travel ban. I didn't see you three days ago when people were gassed to death, when civilians were gassed to death. I didn't see you in 2013 when 1,400 people were gassed to death. I didn't see you raising your voice against President Obama's uh, uh, inaction in Syria that led us refugees that made us refugees get kicked out of Syria. If you really care about refugees, if you really care about helping us, please help us stay in our in our country. We don't want to come to the United States. We want to okay. stay in our country. We want to stay in our country with all the respect. This is hypocrisy. If you really care, if you really care, help us stay in our country. We don't want to become refugees. We want to stay in our country, help us establish safe zones, help Understand. us uh, stay safe in our Understand. country. And if you just give me a few seconds just to tell President Trump once again, please, sir, what you did was amazing. What you did was a powerful message of hope for a lot of people inside and outside of Syria. Please don't stop on, on this. Please help uh, Syrians stay in their country. Yep, it's uh, it's it's a, uh, it's understated, it's understated, undervalued the 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 uh, the ability to push execute on it's it's uh, this one one of the things that I was that I was saying when Trump obviously became serious about becoming president when I switched from uh, hey you know what all my guys that were lined up for president that were ahead of Trump that I thought were more serious about it when it came down to, Hey, Trump is going to be, going to be the guy. Hey, if he's serious about it, you know, the fact that he's run a business and done this and done that, it's hard to push that execute button on writing a check for a business or doing what's right. When you know it, when you know it's the right thing to do, but it's not going to be a popular thing to do, or it might not, you know, it might blow up in your face. It's, you know, it's hard to, hard to, it's hard to take risks. Um, Joey? Well, I, you know, if you listen to the rest of that interview just now, uh, I think that the, the key thing to take away from that entire interview and where that guy was coming from now, granted, as soon as we praise anything this guy has to say, tomorrow is on the front page that he's a member of ISIS. We just don't know. We have to take him at face value that he is a Syrian civilian, 
not affiliated with any of our enemies and desperately pleading to get his country back. If that's true, which we don't know that, then his words have the greatest gravity of any pundit on television for the last six years. And the reason why is he makes a very important comment. He he attributes what Assad has done to Syrian people since he's been in power as a key factor for the rise and momentum of ISIS. And so if you've studied you know, the, the evolution of jihad since the late 60s, 70s in Egypt through the Mujahideen in, in Afghanistan, what you've learned is that the common denominator there is preying on people, and this really goes back to Germany and the Holocaust, preying on people's fears and misfortune and using that as a, as a, as a form of political manipulation. That's what a, a essentially that's what a populist does. But the point being, um, if, if that's the case, then is there a group of Syrians who aren't e- evil at this point or aligned with the, the Assad regime or ISIS or something like that? Is there an opportunity for a new um, for a new party or a new group of people in Syria? Maybe it's the moderate rebels we've heard about, but we've also heard so many bad things about. I'm not sure that there's anyone with no blood on their hands as far as those fighting right now today, but is there an opportunity for that to happen? That's the only win here in this situation, that some form of government, not necessarily democracy, because we can't push that into every society in this world, uh, without them accepting it and wanting it to begin with. But is there some form of government that comes from the ashes of what is Syria today that rejects ISIS and jihad and rejects the type of tyranny that Assad's had? And is this guy speaking to that? If so, then that's uplifting, that you know that, that, that there are people who feel that way and they, and they got a voice through him. But we have to do a, a lot of ifs or a lot of uh, hopefullys in that sentence to kind of get there. But that's the, that's the best message of hope from the situation that you can get from everything he had to say. He's saying, listen, I don't want to come to your country as a refugee with nothing. I want to stay in my country and be able to. And uh, and that's a pretty powerful thing. I've seen it firsthand in more than one place in this world. And uh, it's a powerful thing to feel, um, to feel like you, you don't have the ability to stay in your home or where you were born or what you consider to be your country because there's nowhere to turn. Um, how much responsibility we have and helping determine that, you know, we don't have a great track record in the recent past. Um, so what? how do we go about it? And uh, those are questions left to be answered, quite honestly. Well, based on based on everything that we've seen we, with the civil war that's been going on over there for, I don't know, four or six years, uh, we would we would think <clears throat> that there is a group of, of good Syrians, but we see what the media shows us. I haven't, I haven't been over there to see it. Um, I don't think you've been to Syria, but I know you've been to a lot of those countries. So you have a better, you have a better perspective than I would. And I'm, I'm, uh, I am, uh, uh, my mind is opening to, Hey, the, your, your cautious, your cautious optimism here. Well, uh, I have been to Syria, but not on purpose. We, we operated on the Syrian border and kind of wove in and out of it to, uh, to get through routes and, and, uh, um, in things during the Iraq war. But, that's kind of beside the point. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have to hope for the best, and we have to, whether it's President Obama or President Trump or President whomever's next, we have to believe in those leaders until they, they show us not to, until they until they give us reasons not to. Um, and so we have to believe that there's a way through uh, where we're at right now, rather it be with Russia as a proxy war in Syria or Iran as a proxy war in Syria. There's obviously bigger geopolitical things happening here. But at the end of the day, there's a country of people who are hurting on all sides. 
And there might be people that are fighting for ISIS today because they were brainwashed into it. And, and you know, their redemption may come if they take their country back. Uh, but at the end of the day, we don't get to determine that. We All we get to do, the good guys never determine when you go to war or even who you go to war against. The good guys are always, uh, we always have that determination made for us by our enemies. And when someone drops chemical weapons on innocent people, or when someone plans bombings all around the world to include our country, then they're our enemy because they have absolutely taken action in a way that we believe um, is is the ultimate atrocity. Um, and so that's where we are with, with the two major factions fighting in Syria. So for us to take a side doesn't make a lot of sense, and for us to sit on the sideline doesn't either. Um, so I don't envy President Trump or those around him, and I applaud the fact that they have enough information and confidence to have taken an action in Syria to show that we're not just sitting it out. Um, but what happens next, I, I, you know, we have to go back to it really comes down to what happens in Syria next and what provocation comes back to us. Right now we're winning. Well, they the good, the good thing weapons, is we bomb them and they're not using them. The good thing is that as, as, uh, I, as I had mentioned before the election, that, a smart leader surrounds himself. Nobody knows everything about everything, so they surround themselves with smart people that do. And and uh, one person at a time in his cabinet, Trump surrounded him, surrounded himself with some smart people. And I've never met James Mattis, but I know you, and I know your respect for him, and I've heard the stories that people have told, especially some firsthand stories from you and uh, James Mattis and uh, General McMaster and uh, some of the other guys that he's gotten his. I. It sounds to me like he's he's uh, taking some some uh, making some good decisions, getting some good advice, and uh, we're taking a we're taking a strong stance. But uh, let, let let's pivot on this a little bit. Let's ever since the airstrikes one week ago, Russia has shown solidarity with Syria and contempt for the United States. The Kremlin described our airstrikes as an act of aggression by the United States against a sovereign government in violation of the norms of international rights. And the Russian government tried floating out several different stories about where Syrian chemical attack came from in the first place. Now we're finding out that Russia most likely knew about Assad's plan to carry out this attack before it happened. Have a comment on that? No, yeah, I think at this point it's obvious. I mean, we had the UN vote today before we got on the phone. Uh, Russia, along I think with uh, a stand, I don't remember which one, uh, unfortunately, and I don't think as insensitive as it sounds, but a a country uh, who is a proxy country for Russia, or the only two who voted no, we obviously have problems with Russia. I think that, you know, you may be leading this towards proof that, that there is no collusion between Trump and Russia, and that may or may not be true. We're, we'll, we'll find that out, hopefully, through the investigations that are ongoing. But the point being, as a country, regardless of who's the government, who's representing us in our government, we're, we're too strong, perhaps, for powerful figures in this world who, who have influence over regions in this world who are at odds with one another. Um, and so that is, that is the biggest thing to look at now. You know, everyone wants to know, did we, did we miss out on Mitt Romney now? Because he said Russia would be our biggest problem. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Behold, you know, it is. And I had no way of knowing that, which is a 30-year-old. You know, President Obama has been president throughout my adult life, notwithstanding the few years with George W. Bush where I was fighting in Iraq, but not really politically motivated. So in my lifetime, I've not seen anything else. This is the first time I've got the opportunity to experience as an adult that's fought wars and understands politics, 
how a varying uh, strategy will work in, on the grand stage. Um, and it is starkly different, but there are a lot of similarities as well. Uh, an outspoken rhetoric to want to get along with Russia at the same time, not necessarily taking steps to do so because Russia doesn't allow them. Um, and so, we, you know, we're in a very interesting time, but at the same time, uh, you know, we've been at this with Russia for a very long time. I don't think either of us wants a world war. And so what type of masterful, skillful, strategic posturing is in the future? I hope that that's really all and what it is. Well, I know uh, as a guy who's uh, older and uh, uh, I voted my first uh, presidential election for uh, Mr. Ronald Reagan, um, I never thought I never thought any of the things that Trump was saying in in uh, about Russia were saying that he was supporting Russia. I thought he was using them as a I th- thought he was using his comments to show how weak. Obama was and that he won't take a stance he won't he won't stand for something and that Putin even though we don't agree with what he's doing he's he's showing his strength as a leader um, but this week Secretary of State Rex Tillerson met with the Russian president Vladimir Putin for nearly two hours to discuss the unholy alliance between Russia and Syria afterward he gave a press conference with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov if I said it right We'll just call him Sergey. Uh, here's Tillerson making it clear that the United States wants to see Assad's regime fall. We did discuss at length uh, the future role for Assad, whether it be in a future political process uh, or or not. Uh, clearly, uh, our view is that the reign of the Assad family is coming to an end. Uh, it is possible that the threshold necessary to charge uh, individuals, including Bashar al-Assad, may be achieved. And speaking on behalf of Russia, who just hardened its support of Assad in the past week, here's uh, Sergei Lavrov. When ousting the regime, this is no guarantee that we are going to defeat ISIS. On the contrary, ISIS might emerge victorious if we oust the regime. So we should be guided by common sense. Thank you, not by emotion. I think he just said exactly what you said, Joey. Um, I think that I think what we have to remember is when you would watch the State of the Union address over the last eight years. Um, I've been to two of those physically, and you would see Republicans start to clap and then realize John Boehner wasn't clapping, so they kind of brush their hair or swipe their shoulder off. A lot of those were junior congressmen that, uh, that were just learning the game, and the reason why is Obama was masterful. It's saying what he meant, but making it sound like what you want to hear. And that's what we're getting from Russia right now. It's very easy to simply say, well, we have to support Assad or the worst will be the outcome. I'm saying that we have to consider that. I'm not saying that we have to support Assad. I'm saying that before we take our next step, and at this point I believe there will have to be a next step, we need to have an end game in mind. We need to have a strategy that leaves Syria in something other than a proxy state for Russia or a terrorist training camp. There has to be something, or we have to work in that way. If it's regime change, which I don't think we'll ever be out of the business of, we at least need to learn our lessons from it in years past, because I fought both those wars, and I helped topple regimes. And we we as a country, what we do know is that one president can't, can't last long enough to see it through. 
because he only gets, or at this point, he only gets eight years. And chances are the parties will swing back in another direction, whether it be Democrat, Libertarian, or a different form of Republican. There'll be different things domestically driving our policy foreign. And, uh, and we have to take all those things into account and have the smartest play in mind. And I don't know that we've done that over the last 20 years, and I hope that we have learned from those. And that having people like James Mattis who's fought those hard wars and seen nothing come from it or something great come from it and then go away, um, that, that that's what is being considered by minds much smarter than you and I. Exactly. And I, and I, uh, I like the fact that uh, James Mattis had, had some, some uh, <laughs> different views, different views than Trump when they interviewed him, when uh, Trump was interviewing him before he nominated him for uh, uh, for Secretary of Defense and had some different views and some different opinions on some things and like NATO and and that James Mattis said, hey, I disagree with you. And he goes, you know, well, why do you feel so strongly about that? And he listened openly. And obviously, obviously, I wasn't there. But, you know, listening to James Mattis during his confirmation hearings, he obviously impressed uh, General Mattis that, you know, that. Trump is is open to advice of people that have some different insight than he does on because there's a whole bunch of stuff that Trump said in his campaign that I don't agree with a whole bunch of it. But I say, you know, well, there's what? a lot of stuff he said that he doesn't agree with, to be fair. Uh, but, you know, he, <laughs> he was fighting the fight. You know, he's in, he's, in, he's in there stirring it up. And and uh, that's all politicians. <laughs> I know. Exactly. So, you know what? How do you win? How do you you can't do anything for this country until you win the election, which is the ugly part of politics. So I haven't gotten your take on the whole Russian surveillance matter yet, though. Uh, this week it was re- uh, revealed that the FBI did indeed obtain a FISA warrant to monitor Trump advisor Carter Page during the campaign. Page said, "I'm excited. The truth is coming out. I was an obvious target because no one has been more critical. Because no one, no one has been more thoughtful and methodical in their criticism of Clinton Obama administration foreign policy." Uh, Joey, your thoughts on the entire? You know what? Didn't didn't uh, didn't James Comey just say, "Hey, there was no FISA FISA uh, court approvals to to monitor anybody"? Um, no, I, I don't remember that being said. I think he I think he alluded to the fact that there was a legitimate investigation. That's the last thing I remember um, at the top of my mind. The last um, revelation from James Comey. I think that the important thing to know here is that it's not going away. If it doesn't go away, what is the result? I think what I believe doesn't really matter, but what I believe is that uh, there's there's an obvious show of either risk versus reward flirting with those in contact with Russians or flirting with within the campaign, because it's not just that. It's the Paul Manafort issue. It's multiple layers here. Uh, is there malicious intent? Is there, uh, is there laws broken I would have to believe probably not, but is, has there been uh, conversations that were improper? More than likely. Uh, can you prove that? Probably not. So it's it's you know it, you know I hate the idea that we as Americans accept this from our politicians. That's truly what we did in 2016. We accepted two people that we didn't really think we could believe on their own, um, and said that's who we'll vote for as president for a gambit of reasons. That's what we ended up with, and. And whoever it was that got that office, we knew we would have this kind of stink kind of waving behind them, at least for the first year or two. And there would be just as much of it behind Hillary, if not more, because 
there was more really, quite honestly, evidence there um, in, of bad intent, actually. Uh, but, you know, is it all that hard to believe that, uh, that uh, someone in Russia uh, saw an opportunity to provide information to the Trump campaign or to let Trump campaign know that this information would come out through Julian Assange or whomever, perhaps? But at the end of the day, what happened? The truth about Hillary Clinton and those around her revealed through illegal action, through hacking, and the American people had the opportunity to take that and make a decision. And and you can only go so far regardless of, I mean, it may be that the Trump campaign, if not Donald Trump himself, were involved in this in an illegal way, and if so, should be held accountable. But none of that excuses the fact that the information put out there was not false. This wasn't a conjuring of lies about Hillary Clinton and those around her. This was truly revealing the secrets behind the curtain and seeing that that was much worse than the than the smile on the faces of those who who are involved in this. If we find out that the Trump campaign was doing something similar, none of us are going to be surprised. Although a lot of us are going to hold on to the fact that there's much less evidence there right now today than there ever was with Hillary and in the scandals that followed her. And what are we left with? We're left with two people that ran for president that neither one today, any of us could say, have a clean slate on this issue. And well, you know, it's, you know, as we're running out of time, I have to I have to bring up four years ago, just before the election, when Obama got caught on the hot mic saying, hey, I'll have a lot more flexibility after the election. <laughs> and we still put him back in office. Uh, saying that as a head of state is much different than as a candidate or an, or a, an election official. And in um, therein is the problem. We were in bad. We were in bad shape. Hey, Joey, I'm out of time for uh, this episode. Thanks again for bringing your insight and uh, and everything you bring to uh, to the main event and uh, to uh, for being my friend. Absolutely, brother. It's always enjoyable. Thanks for letting me bloviate on here. And uh, to all the listeners, thank you all, and uh, thanks for being patriots. That's the most important thing to okay. this country. Okay, guys, happy Easter, everybody. Uh, enjoy the enjoy the weekend, and uh, remember what this whole weekend's about. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event, and I'll be back again with you next week. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate. Broker license number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders license number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB number 096199.